Let me get all my paraphernalia together here. It is a delight to be here and especially to, to, to see your new building and what God has provided. Uh, just, just amazing, having walked with you over the last few years and, and uh, to see God's provision. It's just so exciting and uh, Laurel and I are delighted to be able to be back with you. It's been a while. Uh, I don't remember when we were here the last time, but God uh, has kept us quite busy. Uh, I've uh, got four or five book projects uh, working this year. Uh, I've moved pretty much into editing and collaborating, not so much writing my own. But uh, I, I found several years ago after uh, God enabled us to write the book Terror by Night, uh, telling about the uh, murders down in Alba, Texas, 10 years ago this uh, March, and how God worked in the life of Terry Caffey, the father who lost his family. And uh, when I wrote that book, I had been, prior to that, really trying to pursue my own career as a writer. And it was like something clicked there that uh, God said, this is what I want you to do, because I was able to help him tell the story of how God had worked in his life. And so uh, this year, I'm working on uh, a book with a lady whose stepson uh, spent eight years in federal prison for drug trafficking, uh, but an amazing story about how God reached into that prison and brought him to Christ uh, in, again, one of those ways that only can be described as a God thing, um, working with uh, another fellow who is a Muslim who became a Christian and uh, is uh, sharing his story about how God brought him an immigrant from Pakistan and uh, worked in, in his life uh, in, again, some amazing ways. And there are a lot more. I'm not going to go into all of them this morning. But uh, in addition to that, we're, we're still traveling doing chalk art. We'll be in Missouri two weeks from today drawing. And so uh, keep us in prayer. Uh, today is my first day up. I spent this last week pretty much flat on my back with a, a nasty case of bronchitis. Uh, so pray that my voice lasts for about a half hour here. Uh, and, uh, you know, it just, it's, it's good. We wouldn't have wanted to be anywhere else today. And we wouldn't have wanted to, to miss uh, being here to share with you and be a part of what God is doing here at Grace Redeemer. I was going to throw you a curve and preach out of Second Chronicles or something. If you, if you haven't been here when I've been preaching before, when I was filling in here, sometimes uh, during the pastoral search process, our church was also searching for a pastor, and I was preaching there about half the time. And so I decided rather than try to decide something different, different to preach on each week, I would just start in Luke and just work through Luke. And when both our church and, and you found a pastor, uh, I told you both, whenever you have me back, we're just going to pick up where we left off in, in Luke the last time, uh, because I, I really enjoyed uh, preaching it. And I don't think I ever did preach it when I was a pastor. So it's been a, it's been a joy. Uh, and so... That's where we will be today. Let's uh, go to the Lord in prayer and commit this time into his hands. Gracious Father, we love you. And we thank you that you loved us first. We thank you for your mercies. We thank you for your grace. 
We thank you for your love and the fact that you sent your only son into this world that we might have life. We pray that uh, in these next few minutes you'd just quiet our hearts, that you would turn our attention to you, that you would open the eyes of our understanding, give us eyes to, eyes to see and ears to hear and hands and feet to put into practice. And we'll give you the praise and the honor and the glory for all that you do. In Jesus' name, amen. It's tax time. I don't think you needed that as a reminder because you see it all over the place. It's that time of year when finances are at the forefront of most of our minds, ours definitely. Finances, Laurel will tell you, has always been something that has been a struggle for me. We've lived a freelance life for the last 17 years, aside from three years when God had us on staff, a prison ministry staff at First Baptist Dallas. Uh, but the rest of that time, it's been a life of trusting God to provide uh, in not really knowing how he was going to provide. And, and uh, I tend to be one of those people who delights in worrying. <laughs> In fact, I mentioned those book projects earlier this year. I, I told Laurel, in the same breath, I, I said, I've got five book projects working next year. And then my face kind of went, I've got five book projects working next year. You know, and she said, will you stop worrying about everything? Worry is kind of a, a personal struggle of mine. And finances contribute a lot to that. And I find that I'm not the only one that struggles with that. A 2014 AP Harris poll, 72% of Americans reported feeling financial stress in the past month. Uh, a 2016 payoff study, 23% of the respondents said they were experiencing symptoms commonly associated with post-traumatic stress disorder related to their finances. Among millennials, the number is 36%. Uh, finances are one of those things that most people at one time or another struggle with. And I don't know about you, but sometimes you just feel like you want to escape that. You want to get away from that uh, experience of, you know, where's the next bill payment going to come from? What about the house payment? What about this? What about the, that, the other? Isn't there a way I could get out of it? And if you're like me, you probably, I won't ask for a, a show of hands, but maybe at one time or another you have wondered, you know, if I could just get a windfall. <laughs> I'm not saying the lottery. But a windfall, maybe a, a distant cousin that was a multimillionaire that you never heard of before passes away and wills you a million or two. I will be honest and admit, I have thought that often. Oh God, if you would just drop a million or so in my lap. Okay, it doesn't even have to be a million. Half a million will do. <laughs> I'll take a quarter. If you follow the news, maybe you have heard of this man this last week, Donald Savastano. He is from New York, walked into a convenience store and bought a scratch-off ticket. Scratched it off, he won a million dollars. 
His response was, this is really going to help us. You know, he was a laborer. He didn't make much money. He'd never been able to save much. Couldn't even afford health insurance. And so he said, you know, I'm, I'm going to buy a truck. And I'm going to, you know, pay off a bunch of debt. And he said, you know, I haven't been feeling all that well. And I haven't been able to afford to go to a doctor. I'm going to go to a doctor. He went to that doctor and was diagnosed with stage four lung and brain cancer. And 23 days later, he was dead. He got his windfall, but the windfall didn't do any good. We're going to look at that very question today. What, what about money? What about finances? What about worrying about finances? What about worrying about what God is going to do or what, you know, how we're going to make those next payments? And we're going to do it in Luke chapter 12 today. Now, the first 13 verses, I'm just going to skim through because I just want to use those to set the scene. Our main focus is chapter uh, 12, verse 13 to 34. But just to set the scene, Jesus is traveling back to Jerusalem. He set his face to go there. He has, as we, if you were with us in, in the past, he's had his group of disciples. That group of disciples has grown. We've had the 12. We have the larger group of disciples. We have the crowd that has been traveling with him. And now he's been teaching. And, and in the first verse, it says, Meanwhile, when a crowd of many thousands had gathered that they were, so that they were trampling on one another, Jesus began first to speak to his disciples. So we have this huge crowd, so big, that they are trampling on one another, stepping on one another. And in the midst of this, Jesus is talking to his disciples, and, and he's giving them instructions on how to deal with persecution, how to deal with uh, the hypocrisy of the Pharisees. He said, be on guard against hypocrisy. Don't follow the, the, the example of the Pharisees. He says, don't be afraid of those who can only kill your body. And he says, don't be afraid to acknowledge or confess me, but trust the Holy Spirit for the words to speak when you're confronted. So he is preparing them as they head toward this ultimate confrontation. And in the midst of that, he, he makes one little point. He says, are not five sparrows sold for two pennies, yet not one of them is forgotten by God. Indeed, the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Don't be afraid. You're worth more than many sparrows. Now, in the midst of all that, somebody from the crowd, almost like a heckler, cries out and says, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. He doesn't even ask, you know, teacher, would you tell my brother? Teacher, could we talk about this? He says, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. And that sets the stage for what Jesus is about to say. Now, first of all, he begins with a rebuke and a warning. The rebuke is found uh, in verse 14. But Jesus said to him, man, who made me a judge or an arbiter between you two? He dismisses it pretty much out of hand. I don't know how stern the rebuke was, but you can tell 
Jesus is not going to be sidetracked. He's, yes, rabbis sometimes did that sort of thing. But Jesus says, that's not my job. That's not what I'm here for. But then he adds a warning. In verse 15, he says, then he said to them, and I think the implication is he's talking to the whole crowd, not just the disciples at this point. He says, watch out and guard yourself from all types of greed, because one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. So he issues a warning. And then he tells them a parable. It's a parable we're very familiar with. We call it the rich fool. Verse 16, he says, The land of a certain rich man produced an abundant crop. And so he thought to himself, What should I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And then he said, I'll, I'll do this. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I'll store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to myself, you have plenty of goods stored up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, celebrate. So the man got his windfall. Now, he was a rich man. Jesus points that out at the beginning. This was somebody who was not living day to day. This was not somebody who, who was you know, scraping to get by and got a windfall. This is somebody who already was rich, and he gets a bigger windfall. And he says, boy, I've got a problem. You know, sometimes when we have a situation like that, we say, that's a good problem to have. Boy, you're not only rich, now you've had a windfall on top of your wealth. And so he says, wow, what am I going to do with this? But do you notice that his thought process doesn't go outside himself? He says, well, I don't have anywhere to store my crops. So what will I do? I'll tear down my barns. I'm going to build bigger barns, and I'm going to store the, everything there. And, and then I'm going to kick back. I'm going to relax. I'm going to turn on my big 50-inch screen TV. Well, he didn't have one of those. But he said, I'm going, to, I'm going to enjoy life. I'm going to eat. I'm going to drink. I'm going to be merry. And you know the conclusion of the story. Verse 20, but God said to him, you fool. This very night, your life will be demanded back from you. And who will get what you have prepared for yourself? Jesus said, so it is with the one who stores up riches for himself, but is not rich toward God. The man had the windfall. But that very night, the windfall became useless to him. Jesus springboards off of that. He simply has pointed out, you think wealth is important? Maybe he's even looking at the guy who just said, you know, make my brother divide the inheritance. Maybe he's looking right at him and, and he says, you think wealth is all that important? It's not, because it's temporary. You're temporary. Now Jesus, in verse 22, it says, said to his disciples. So now maybe he's focusing his attention back. And he says, therefore I tell you, because of this. See, a lot of times we just stop there at the end of the, the, the parable of the rich fool. But Jesus goes on. 
He says, therefore, because of this, I'm going to tell you something. Don't worry about your life, what you will eat, or about your body, what you will wear. For there's more to life than food and more to the body than clothing. Jesus gives the disciples a principle. First of all, he's, he's told them a parable. The parable basically says stuff, including you, is temporary. Possessions are temporary. You know, I, as I was studying this, I was thinking of all of the people over this last year who have gone through just horrific natural disasters. You think of the fires out in California, swept through people's entire lives. We have friends that lived in that fire zone, and, and we were constantly t keeping tabs to see, you know, do you still have a house? Many, many whole neighborhoods wiped out. Think of Hurricane Harvey. Whole neighborhoods wiped out. All the possessions, all of the things that people had, they found out were temporary. They were gone. So Jesus gives his disciples a principle. Because everything is temporary, because possessions are passing, because your life is passing, don't worry about the basics of life. He says there's more to life than food. There's more to the body than clothing. And then he gives them some, some illustrations. He says, first consider the ravens. <coughs> Excuse me. They do not sow or reap. They have no storeroom or barn. Yet God feeds them. How much more valuable are you than birds? Now think about that. Ravens were an unclean bird. They would have been on the bottom of the totem pole, as it were, in terms of, does God really care about ravens? God even cares about those unclean ravens. He feeds them. When Jesus says consider, he doesn't mean just give a passing glance. He said, take some time think about this, folks. Think about what God does, how he provides for all of the creatures out there. Remember earlier in this chapter, Jesus talking to the disciples said, you're more valuable than sparrows. You're more valuable than ravens. God feeds them. Do you think he's not going to feed you? And then he adds another one. A kind of a different illustration. Which of you, by worrying, can add an hour to his life? Now, the text actually says a cubit to his stature. But most commentators think that it probably should be read as an hour to his life. Think about it. Do we sit around saying, and I hope I will make it through the night? God, please add another hour to my life. And even if you did, what good would it do? Can all the worrying in the world add a single minute to your life? Jesus says, no. <laughs> well, and then he adds the application, verse 26. So if you can't do such a very little thing as this, why do you worry about the rest? In other words, worry is useless. I'm preaching to myself, incidentally, because remember I said I, I have a, an issue with worry. Worry is useless. 
it doesn't accomplish anything aside from stressing you out and me out. And then he goes on to another illustration. He's talked about food with the ravens. Now he's going to talk about clothing. He says, consider how the flowers grow. Now, I, I doubt he had blue bonnets in mind, but we are, we are in Texas. Uh, consider the lilies. Consider the flowers. They don't work or spin. Yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all his glory was clothed like one of these. And we, we, we at our property uh, have all sorts of wildflowers that grow during the year. And I just absolutely love it because it's just kind of a succession of one kind to another to another. And for 22 years, I've been trying to get blue bonnets to grow there. And I can't get them to grow. Uh, so I don't know what the trick is. But God has brought those other wildflowers back every year. And the thing that is amazing is they are so beautiful during the time that they're alive. But then the hot Texas summer comes and all those wildflowers turn brown and die and are mowed. And Jesus says in verse 28, if this is God, how God clothes the wild grass, which is here today and tomorrow was tossed into the fire to heat the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O people of little faith? He says, if, if, if God takes such care to adorn his creation, what about you? Do you think he cares more about you than blue bonnets? I think so. So he gives them a principle. Verse 29, so don't be overly concerned about what you'll eat or drink and don't worry about such things. For the nations of the world pursue these things and your father knows that you need them. Instead, pursue his kingdom, and these things will be given to you as well. He says, don't be worried about all these things. Instead, pursue God's kingdom. And all the rest, he's going to take care of. So he gave them a parable. Possessions are temporary, you are temporary, they mean nothing. He gave them a principle, don't worry about the basics of life, don't worry about food and drink and, and what you're going to wear, because God is going to take care of you, you seek his kingdom instead. Now immediately, knowing my character and tendency to worry, my next response would be to worry yeah, but what if God doesn't give me his kingdom? <laughs> well, Jesus anticipated that as well. Verse 32. Your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Do not be afraid, little flock, for your father is well pleased to give you the kingdom. Isn't that amazing? He says, don't be worried about that. You are his little flock. You belong to him. Paul says, you've been bought with a price. He says, don't worry. In modern language, God's got your back. But it doesn't stop there. 
Because that realization should move you and me to a radically different perspective on our finances and our possessions. Verse 33, he says, because your father has given you the kingdom, sell your possessions and give to the poor. Now, I don't think he's telling us, you know, adopt a communist lifestyle, sell everything off, you know, go live in a commune somewhere. I don't think that's the point. I think the point is, understand, possessions are nothing because it's all temporary. God is going to provide for you and me. He's given us his kingdom. Therefore, we can be set free from bondage and the tyranny of stuff. We all have stuff. We all have money. We live in a very complicated financial society. I get that. But if we latch on to the fact that, one, everything I have down to the last penny belongs to God, two, that God cares enough about me to provide for me, three, that I can trust him because he, in Christ, is well pleased to give us the kingdom. Therefore, I can look at my possessions, my finances, as a means of ministering grace to others. Sell your possessions and give to the poor. He goes on in that verse, to say, provide for yourselves purses that don't wear out. A treasure in heaven that never decreases, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. As I allow God to use my possessions to bless others, I'm investing in that very kingdom that God has been well pleased to give to me as his child. So what do we do with that? Two case, two quotes, and then we're going to wrap it up. There are a number of places in the New Testament I think we could point to, to where we see this kind of thing playing out, but two that come to mind are the Macedonian churches. Turn with me, if you've got your Bible open, to 2 Corinthians chapter 8. 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Listen to what Paul says. He's writing to the, to, uh, he's writing to the Corinthians to encourage them to make good on a promise they had made uh, to you know, give to the donation, the collection Paul was taking up for the poor saints in Jerusalem. And so he's going to use the Macedonian churches as an illustration. He says, now we make known to you, brothers and sisters, the grace of God given to the churches of Macedonia, that during a severe ordeal of suffering, 
their abundant joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in the wealth of their generosity. Talk about counterintuitive. The Macedonian churches are in a great trial, a severe ordeal of suffering, Paul describes it as. We don't know what it was. But instead of you know, hunkering down and going into survival mode, what do they do? Well, it says, for I testify that they gave according to their means and beyond their means, and they did so voluntarily, begging us with great earnestness for the blessing and fellowship of helping the saints. You see, these were people who realized possessions are temporary. God's got our back. We're free from the bondage of stuff. And whatever God has brought to us, hey, let us help those poor saints in Jerusalem because we know they have it rough too. second illustration that came to mind were the Hebrew Christian, the, the people that the book of Hebrews uh, was written to. Turn to Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10. About verse 32. As the writer of Hebrews is, is, is trying to encourage them to to bolster their uh, profession and, and their, their, their confession of Christ. He says, remember the former days when you endured a harsh conflict of suffering after you were enlightened. So in other words, they came to faith in Christ. They faced persecution. It says, at times you were publicly exposed to abuse and afflictions. And at other times you came to share with others who were treated in that way. For in fact, you shared the sufferings of those in prison and you accepted, I love this last sentence, and you accepted the confiscation of your belongings with joy because you knew that you, had, you certainly had a better and lasting possession. Hebrew Christians, they're being persecuted, they're struggling, and, and apparently their possessions are just being taken from them. That would be a case for woe is me. You know, I, man, talk about having an opportunity for a persecution complex. Look, the, the non-Christians are coming and they're, they're taking all my stuff and, and now I don't have anything and am I not a poor persecuted Christian? And the Hebrews said, nah. It was almost as if they said, take it all, guys. Says they accepted the confiscation of their belongings with joy. Go ahead, take it. It's all temporary anyway. But that wasn't the reason. They knew that they had a better and lasting possession. Going back to the worry. Dietrich Bonhoeffer said, earthly possessions dazzle our eyes and delude us into thinking that they can provide security and freedom from anxiety. Yet all the time, they are the very source of anxiety. He also said, the way to misuse our possessions is to use them as an insurance against the morrow. 
Anxiety is always directed to the morrow, whereas goods are, in the strictest sense, meant to be used only for today. By trying to ensure for the next day, we are only creating uncertainty today. The very goods we want to hold on to, the very possessions that we're worried about, are the very things that are causing our anxiety. But if you're free from the tyranny of stuff, if you realize possessions are temporary, that God has your back and that he has been pleased to give you the kingdom, you can be free from bondage to material things and see those things as a resource to minister to other people. How do you get free? from the tyranny of stuff. One, remember possessions are temporary, and so are you. Either the possessions will go or you will go. The only question is which one comes first. Second, if you are a child of God, if you have placed your faith in Jesus Christ and are trusting in him, then you are part of that little flock to whom God has been pleased to give the kingdom. You think he's not going to provide for you? Now, that's not an encouragement to financial irresponsibility. It's an encouragement to faith and confidence in God's ability to handle whatever situation you face. We've done it for 17 years. And there have been very tough times, and I still struggle with worry. But I also have 17 years of being able to look back and say, God, wow. Because just when it seemed like there wasn't anything, he would provide. How do you break free from the tyranny of stuff? We all want that windfall. Now, I don't know. Donald Savastano, I don't know where he was spiritually, and I don't want to make a comparison between him and the rich fool. That's not my intent. But my intent is here was somebody who got the windfall and who had real needs because he was not a rich man. But the windfall did no good because within three weeks, his soul was required of him. If you leave with nothing else today, understand you've already had the windfall because you are in the kingdom of God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Therefore, you may be free from bondage to material things. What you have, every penny of it, What I have, every penny of it, belongs to him. And the only question is, what are we going to do with his stuff? Let's pray. Thank you, Father. We love you so much. And we are so unworthy. We thank you for your mercies. We thank you that that you have come into our lives. We thank you 
that everything we have belongs to you. Give us wisdom as we go forth today to understand that as your people, you want us to use what we have to glorify you. And you also want us to realize we don't need to worry because you have been pleased to give us the kingdom. And we'll thank you for all you do in Jesus' name.